0: Coming up on the Rami LaVie podcast, the stage is set for the Super Bowl, but how did we get there? We have the Eagles' dominant win over the quarterback list, San Francisco 49ers, the Chiefs with an incredible late-game heroics by Patrick Mahomes. What will the story from that game be? I don't think it's the right thing, but the story in the game was the refs. Either way, the stage is set for Super Bowl 57. I got both of my picks right this week, and I'm 5-1 in my last six playoff picks so we'll talk about that and a whole lot more coming up on the Rami LaVie podcast stay tuned
1: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app
0: One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific Needs and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So, I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the two million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10 off your first month at BetterHelp.com/Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp. B-E-T-T-E-R. H E L P dot com slash R A M I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description, in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami V podcast, episode 132, and the Super Bowl is set. We saw some really interesting football, and I thought what was an incredible performance and what's going to lead to a long, long battle back and forth between two great quarterbacks and really just an incredible performance from an all-time great. And when you look at that game on Sunday night between the Chiefs and the Bengals, I was saying it all week. I picked Patrick Mahomes because I didn't want to pick against him because I couldn't rule him out because the cockiness of the Chiefs or of the Bengals actually going into the Chiefs stadium and the Chiefs feeling like an underdog at home with the greatest quarterback that I have ever seen. And that is Patrick Mahomes. And yes, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen because I saw most of Tom Brady's career, almost his entire career. But I've never seen a start like this from a guy who's so talented, can do so much, and then on top of it all is a winner. He now, in the last five years, he's been in the AFC Championship game every single year. He wins three of them, and the two he loses are in overtime, and I think this most recent one is the most impressive one because, like I said last week, this was the most important game of his career, and that's not an understatement. I think this was The most important game. It was the first time he had a game that it felt like this is must win for him. This is a legacy game for him. This is the entire league is on Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Everyone, he's the new shiny toy. He's the new great quarterback. He's the winner. I said it. I love Joe Burrow. And we'll get to that a little bit later. I hated rooting against and betting against Joe Burrow in this game. It was awful because Joe Burrow is great. And congrats to the Bengals on an awesome season because they're going to be back in this position. They're an awesome team. Um, but Patrick Mahomes is special. Patrick Mahomes had his most incredible game of his career, in my opinion. In the game that he needed most, in the game that was most important to him and his legacy to this point in his career, and I'm sure there'll be more down the road, he came through with an incredible performance, and on the play that he needed most, he made a play that clearly he was not very capable of making, a play that he didn't want to make the entire game that he held in the vault till he absolutely, absolutely needed to, And then when he did, he made that play and it was incredible. And so what the great ones do. And yet the story from this game is not going to be that it's going to be the refs. And that's, what's going to be talked about coming out of this game. And it's a shame because I don't think the refs made a huge difference in this game. And if it's not for the fact that it really looked bad and there was, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't look great for the refs in this game. It didn't look great for the NFL in this game, but It was really more the optics of it and not actually what happened. And while everyone loves Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and like I said, I love Joe Burrow and the Bengals too, you had Tony Romo yelling and screaming about how great Patrick Mahomes is. And that maybe turned some people off to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs a little bit in this game. So I think there are some various reasons why people, instead of just accepting the greatness that they saw, might look at some other factors from this game. and That's unfortunate, but it starts with the penalties. It starts with the refs. And there were three calls late in this game. And they all went against the Bengals. And they were all for the Chiefs. But none of them really affected the outcome of this game. I mean, if you look at it, the first one is the third and nine. And the play that ends up being incomplete, right? It's called and they redo the play. Now, I've never seen this before. You already have the punt team running on the field. And they redo the play. But clearly, you see you saw on a replay, CBS showed it, that the referee is running down, waving his arms, blowing the whistle. And they just couldn't hear it. But I've never seen it get to the point that the entire play goes, the punt unit comes out, everything happens, and then they redo the play. So it's really like a crazy play, but that didn't change anything, right? Because on the next play, Eli Apple holds and that sets up a first down. But after that, Cincinnati holds them and Kansas City doesn't convert, so it doesn't change anything in the game. Okay, next play. Joe Burrow is called for intentional grounding. Obviously, this play, it seems like Pirine was in the area, but it didn't make it past the line of scrimmage. And then again, they convert the third down later on that drive. So it didn't matter. Like, yes, it was intentional grounding. And so they call it a sack, but they end up converting and the drive continues for Cincinnati. So did that play really matter? And then the last one, the late hit out of bounds, the late hit on Patrick Mahomes. And I'm sorry, this is just a late hit. It was, and you can complain about the refs. And I don't think the complaints about the late hit would have been there if the two previous calls hadn't gone the Chiefs way. If the two previous calls go against the Chiefs, or one call goes against the Chiefs, the other against Cincinnati. The point is that because people already felt like the game was tilted in favor of the Chiefs, that is why they thought that that last play, which was clearly a late hit out of bounds, Mahomes had both feet out of bounds, he was way out of bounds, and that's on the player to make the right play. It's a terrible play by Joseph Asai in that play, in that situation. He cannot make that play. It's a play that everyone knows, and obviously you saw after the game, the Bengals player, the other Bengals player yelling at him, why would you hit the quarterback? And I don't love that for the Bengals. But the point is, if that play doesn't come after the previous two calls go the Chiefs' way, no one even questions it because it was clearly a late hit out of bounds. And people are talking about the hold on that play. I didn't think there was a hold. It was borderline. I saw Joe Thomas, obviously the Hall of Fame offensive lineman for the Browns for many years. Maybe he hates the Bengals because he played for the Browns. I don't know. But he also said it was not a hold. And a borderline hold, and this is the difference, the borderline hold at the beginning of the play, you're not going to call because you want the play on the field at that point of the game to decide the game. So borderline hold, you don't call. But the late hit out of bounds, maybe if he had one foot out of bounds or if it was ticky tack, split second, then you don't call it. But when he's got two full feet out of bounds and it's a quarterback who's already hurt and you saw what happened in the game earlier in the day, which we're going to get to a little bit later, where you had to see a third string quarterback or really Brock Purdy come back in just to hand the ball off every time. You're trying to protect the quarterbacks if you're the league. And so when the guy has two full feet out of bounds, and he's a good eight yards out of bounds, something like that. It wasn't actually, but it's a nice four feet out of bounds. And he gets shoved like that. You're going to call it every single time. And you have to. And that's why it's different than swallowing your whistle on a play- previous play. And it's different than calling the intentional grounding. It's different than giving the Chiefs a do-over essentially on a third and nine. Um, that said, yeah, the officiating is weird. And I get why it's the story. I get why it's going to be the story again today. And maybe I'm not as angry about it because I had money on the Chiefs. And if I had my money on the Bengals, I'd be furious right now. So I, I don't know what to tell you. But again, I was rooting for the Chiefs. And I think... Saying this game was decided by the refs is just a mischaracterization of what this game actually was. And like I said, Patrick Mahomes was incredible in this game and Joe Burrow was amazing in this game. So why did I bet on the Chiefs? Um, I just mentioned I bet on the Chiefs and I talked about it all week leading up to this game. I talked about how much I love the Chiefs. This is what I saw going into the game. I saw a guy who was going to be an underdog at home, a guy who was hurt. And that was the biggest object. I, I texted my friends the morning of the game. I was like, there's a chance that I'm rooting for Chad Henney in this game. And I have money on Chad Henney because Mahomes was actually hurt. And whether it was a high ankle sprain, whether it was as bad as people initially thought, maybe it wasn't as bad as they reported it because there there was some gamesmanship there. That might be part of it. But Mahomes was actually hurt. And you could tell that Mahomes was physically not as capable as he usually is. It was obvious. But all we heard all week was the talk about Cincinnati. All we heard was Joe Burrow. All we heard is Joe Burrow's 3-0. And a guy with the greatness that Patrick Mahomes has, a guy who is as great as Patrick Mahomes, was not going to let them control the narrative, was not going to let that be the storyline. He was going to find a way to win this game. And I felt that way coming into the game. And that's why I didn't see a way that they could win. I didn't see a way that Cincinnati was going to beat Mahomes. I thought Mahomes, no matter what, was going to find a way to win this game. But once the game got started, it didn't feel like that. Like, I thought, okay, we'll know right away what Mahomes is capable and not capable of. And very early on, they looked like they were dominating. They score on their first three possessions. But think about it. Two of them, they get held to field goals. And then there's the touchdown on a scramble play. And what's amazing about Mahomes is they run the scramble drill without him having to move more. He was just dancing back and forth within six yards, not even moving that much. He didn't have to run all over the field because he couldn't run all over the field. So you knew he was eliminated. But you knew still, despite him being limited, he was getting the ball out quickly. And then when he needed to make that scramble drill on the touchdown to Kelsey, it's like, oh, my God, this is incredible. So they go up really early. They go up 13-3. And it feels like kind of like last year where at that point it kind of stalled. Things kind of slowed down for them. And then it's Cincinnati's turn. Can they punch back? And another reason why I took the Chiefs in this game was the Cincinnati O-line. And in that first quarter, the Cincinnati O-line got dominated by the Chiefs, specifically Frank Clark, specifically Chris Jones. Those guys, he gets his first sack in his playoff career. He actually had two in the game. We'll get to the second one a little bit later, but they dominated up front. And everyone talked about how good Cincinnati's O-line looked against Buffalo, but you're forgetting that they looked really bad against a mediocre pass rush in the Baltimore Ravens. It's another thing that I talked about last week on the podcast. I said, Guys, you're forgetting this Cincinnati O-line is not that great. I talked about it on the air with Vinny and Haney on Thursday. I talked about it on my podcast all week last week. Was the Cincinnati O-line going to be able to hold up? And they weren't able to hold up. They gave up three sacks in the first seven minutes. But then all of a sudden, after Cincinnati holds the Chiefs to field goals instead of touchdowns, Joe Burrow starts making magic of his own. He took a page out of the Mahomes playbook, and he's like, I'm just going to get rid of the ball really quickly. And he starts getting rid of the ball as quickly as he can. And as you're watching this game, You knew Cincinnati was never out of this game. And as you go to the end of the half, it feels exactly like the end of the half last year where the Chiefs are a little bit too aggressive. They know they're getting the ball first. They're a little bit too aggressive at the end of the half. Cincinnati gets the ball back, and they're about to score at the end of the half. And then Chris Jones makes another huge play to stop them from scoring, and they end up having to kick a field goal. So they still score. And then I'm like, okay, so Kansas City gets the ball coming out of the half. They have to score. But it was the same thing. They go three and out coming out of the second half. So it was really similar. It was eerily similar to last year where all of a sudden it felt like the Chiefs messed up at the end of the first half and couldn't capitalize at the beginning of the second half. And the Bengals are the team capitalizing. And at that point, when the Bengals come down and they score, I'm like, and this game, this Bengals are going to find a way to win this game. And that's truly what I felt in the moment. This is why I said it sucks betting against Cincinnati. And that's why at halftime also... When you watch the game, I don't know if you watch the halftime show on CBS, they're like, oh, the Bengals are right in this. this. This is exactly where they want him. This reminds us of last year. And it's funny because a team that's down seven points to the greatest quarterback that we've seen in the last five years, the guy who's been here five years in a row and Patrick Mahomes, And yet we're still saying that the Bengals are right in this game. The Bengals are in a perfect position. That is why I felt so good about Patrick Mahomes going into this game. Only at that point, I didn't feel as good. I thought the CBS crew got it right. I thought the CBS crew was saying that they really trust Joe Burrow in this spot. And I agreed with them in the moment because of how limited Patrick Mahomes looked and how good Joe Burrow looked at the end of the first half by the way sidebar just because i'm looking through my game notes this is something that i wrote in the second half they did it again where we didn't know what happened because they ran to a commercial break so it was on the reach for the first down i what was at marcus valdez scanling who like reached out for the first down it was on the second touchdown drive for the chiefs after it's tied at 13 an incredible catch obviously by higgins it's tied at 13 and then on the second touchdown drive for the chiefs when valdez scanling reaches for the first down um just an idiotic play. Can you imagine if it would have happened again for the Bengals that they get a guy reaching for the first down and they just whack the ball out just like they did against Tyler Huntley. But this time he reaches for it. It goes to official review. And of course we go to commercial break. So we have no idea. And then we come back from commercial break and they're already lining up for the next play because they need to squeeze every commercial break possible. Ryan Russell talks about his on his podcast all the time. Um, kind of weird that they would do it again, but then Patrick Mahomes, the touchdown was incredible. I mean, this is exactly what you talk about. I talked about him scrambling and moving back and forth in the pocket on the Kelsey touchdown. Well, this play, they run a wheel route along the sideline with Kelsey. He takes two guys with him, and then they ran... Mahomes kind of steps up in the pocket looks like he's gonna run the safety for a split second starts to come down starts to come down from his high safety spot in the middle of the field towards Patrick Mahomes because he sees him stepping up and then Mahomes just zips it right by him the safety can't get back the receivers wide open in the end zone for a touchdown just an incredible play and Mahomes was special all game like he had no receivers in this game that's another storyline where Juju goes down and I forget I think McCall Hardman also went down you have Sky Moore running routes out there they couldn't even get separation and we'll get to that a little bit later but they couldn't get separation in this game and that's how special Patrick Mahomes was with no receivers I don't even know where Clyde Edwards Hilaire is he must be hurt because wouldn't you like to at least have Pacheco maybe as a receiver and Hilaire in the backfield like there must be something else you can do but they had nobody um but then patrick mahomes gets the ball back and it felt like patrick mahomes was going to up 20 to 13 it felt like he was just going to go down and score and that was going to be it and end the game instead he fumbles just a, a weird play that you don't expect to happen with patrick mahomes they come down on fourth and six by the way and i talked about this all the time fourth and six for the Bengals. the game's on the line and they threw it to jamar chase in double coverage and he went up and made a play and before that play i said you have to throw it to jamar chase here And the reason you throw it to Jamar Chase is we talked about this with Minnesota when they had the game against the Giants and this whole second half, Justin Jefferson is double and triple covered on every play. And I was like, just force it to Justin Jefferson. He's the greatest receiver, one of the best receivers in the league. These receivers are so special and you go and you let them make a play. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. He trusts his receiver to go make a play. He throws a perfect pass in double coverage, a ball that only Jamar Chase can go up and make that play. He makes that play. Um, And a few times, we saw this multiple times, where Joe Burrow had the ability to run the ball. Joe Burrow had the ability to scramble. He converted a couple third downs. And this is the part of the game where I'm like, I can't believe I'm betting against Joe Burrow. Because he comes down, they score the touchdown, they tie the game. Just unbelievable. But then you think, okay, Kansas City gets the ball back. They're going to go on a drive here. And they go on a drive and... Cincinnati declines the penalty on fourth down. This was really weird from Andy Reid. Andy Reid decides to give the ball back to Cincinnati. I didn't understand that at all. They don't score there. About the 40 something yard line, like they could kick a long 52 yard field goal. I guess you give them a short field at that point, but instead they decide to pin them deep maybe go for it on fourth down but you saw Andy Reid that was a weird punt from him I thought the Chiefs at that point I thought the Chiefs were just not going to get the ball back for the rest of the game I thought Cincinnati would go down kick the field goal and win the game instead Cincinnati again another play by Chris Jones gets the ball back to Mahomes and then Mahomes he's got time to to go work he's got time to go down the field and of course that's when the late hit happens but before the late hit happens we talked about it already on the podcast but Joe Burrow, the difference between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes in this game was Joe Burrow's ability to run. Patrick Mahomes could not run. We saw multiple times where Patrick Mahomes looked like he started to want to take off and then just couldn't do it. He started to want to scramble. And we know he scrambles a lot more times in the playoffs. He gains a lot more yards in the playoffs. In this game, they're double teaming Kelsey. All the other receivers can't get open because they're just not good receivers, what he was left with at that point in the game, missing two of his top three receivers. At this point, you're thinking, wow, he could really use Tyreek Hill out there. He doesn't have him. And Patrick Mahomes knows I'm going to need one play with my legs. I'm going to need to make a play. And he willed himself to run and reach that sideline. He didn't want to run any more than he did, which is why it was so crazy. that He was clearly running out of bounds, which is why it's so crazy that he gets pushed over there. And that's the definition of greatness. That's when he needed it most. He went out and he made the biggest play of the day. He ran something he couldn't do all day, something he clearly was physically limited. And he went beyond his physical capabilities and made an incredible magical play. And that's what great players do. And so while Joe Burrow has been awesome, and Joe Burrow has been the winner to this point in his career, Joe Burrow has had the benefit of... A Mahomes collapse last year in the AFC Championship game. A crazy Sam Hubbard play in the game against Baltimore. All these different things that feel like happen and always find a way to go Mahomes or go Burrow's way to this point in his career. And it's why he's going to be back and he's going to be a winner and he's going to be incredible. He's only going to get better because he improved from last year to this year. And so Bengals fans shouldn't hold their heads or hang their heads. They should be happy. They should be excited. And I love Joe Burrow, and I may never bet against him again in my life because that was an awful experience having to bet against a guy who I love that much, who I think is really that good and that much of a winner. All that said, it came down to one simple thing and the fact that Patrick Mahomes needed this game more. All week, that's what we talked about. All week, what we said over and over was that Patrick Mahomes needed this game and Patrick Mahomes was magic and he was going to find a way to win this game. Now he's gone to five straight title games. He's won three of them. And the only two title games he's lost were an overtime losses last year against the Bengals and against Tom Brady, with obviously the D Ford offsides and everything that happened in that game. And now he gets to go to the playoffs. And it almost sucks that Tony Romo was so early and often he was already getting on Patrick Mahomes and how much he loves him and how great he is. If if Tony Romo had slowed down a little bit and he wasn't as crazy with the Love Fest with Patrick Mahomes so early in the game, then I think people would have reacted differently. But people are almost annoyed by Mahomes because of the way Tony Romo reacted to him. But at the same time, Tony, Tony is right. Like, But going from the moment the game started, he's like, oh, this is the flu game. Oh, this is this. This is Patrick Willis and whatever he was saying, all these different things that he was saying. Look, I get it. I get where Tony's coming from. And it was incredible. And it was just remarkable to watch. And it was an incredible performance. And I said that. It kind of took away from the performance the way Tony talked about it. But at the same time, I think that can't get lost. We talk about the refs. We talk about Tony. We talk about Burrow. We talk about all these different things. We talk about the play, the late hit out of bounds at the end of the game. You can talk about all that. But at the end of the day, it was one of the most gutsy performances by one of the greatest players of our generation. And I always talk about this. Appreciate the greatness when you see it. Appreciate the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. Who knows, maybe the Super Bowl comes down to him being limited and he ends up losing because who knows how healthy he is in two weeks from now. But I hope he gets healthy enough uh, to win this game. Speaking of the Super Bowl, um, I predicted back in November, and I remember this on Sunday morning, I predicted that it would be Chiefs and 49ers. I was like, are we on a crash course for this to happen again. And obviously that was before the Jimmy Garoppolo injury. It looked like Jimmy Garoppolo was unbeatable. Then Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. Still Brock Purdy looks unbeatable. All that is true. But San Francisco comes into this game. And with how hot Philly has been, you knew that if Philly scored early, if Philly jumped out to an early lead, they'd find a way to hold this game and they'd really shut down San Francisco. And that crazy crowd would go crazy and knock Purdy out of this game. But we didn't get to see that. This game was a mess. Fred Werner gets injured right away. Obviously, early in the game, there's the fourth and three. Devontae, he makes the incredible one-handed catch, but he really didn't catch it. I don't understand. I don't understand how Burkhart and Olsen missed this. Uh, but Burkhart and Olsen going, oh, they're running up to the line because they think he might have been out of bounds. He was clearly, he was like four and a half feet in bounds. And somehow Burkhart and Olsen thought that that was what they were questioning. If the second Devontae Smith starts running up to the line and saying, let's snap it quickly... That should have been the cue for Kyle Shanahan to throw the flag and for San Francisco to challenge because this had nothing to do with him being inbounds or out of bounds. It was an incredible one-handed catch that he made on the ground. Obviously, it was a question of whether he caught the ball or not. And if the player thinks he didn't catch the ball, then I would trust Devontae Smith, who's running up to the line saying snap it because he doesn't want you to review it because he thinks he didn't catch the ball. Um, so I don't understand how they don't challenge it there. Maybe it's early in the game, but they go up 7 nothing. But at that point, the game's not over. It's 7 nothing. It's one play. Obviously, that's a huge play in the game. It's from the 35, right? You get the ball at the 35, and you're going the other way. Instead, you score a touchdown. So it's a huge swinging point, a huge beginning of the game. But I don't know how the broadcast missed that. I don't, I don't really understand that. And then on the first play, on the first drive the other way, Brock Purdy fumbles, and it's like, oh, boy, this is going to be a long game. He only had two turnovers all year. He had never fumbled, and he had only thrown two interceptions. And then he's hurt. And then it's Josh Johnson in the game. And then you think about all the injury luck. You also saw at some point Bosa was out of the game. He was obviously playing through some injuries. And I was like, oh my God, Christian McCaffrey. If I were you, I would wrap myself in bubble wrap and not go out on the field. But Philly didn't put them away either. Like the defense, the 49ers defense and credit to them was incredible. And they kept them in this game. But Jalen Hurts overthrows AJ Brown. That would have made it 14, nothing. He was wide open on a deep ball. Like, Till the end of the first half that was incredibly foobarred by the 49ers, until that point, it felt like San Francisco was right there. Christian McCaffrey scores. That ties the game, right? It's 7-7 at this point. And then they score a touchdown late to make it 14-7. And San Francisco gets the ball back. And instead of just handing it off a couple times and going to halftime in a one-score game. They get aggressive. They start throwing with their backup quarterback with Josh Johnson, who then also gets hurt. He gets hit hard and is sacked. And then at that point, after just a mind-numbing decision to decide to throw the ball inside two minutes and be aggressive, Philly gets the touchdown. Sanders gets his touchdown. It's their third t- rushing touchdown. All three rushing touchdowns to start the game were on outside zone runs. Um, which they did a thing about it. I think it was either coming out of the half. They showed you that that's exactly how they want to run. They want to run outside the linebackers. It was actually incredible runs against the zone, freezing The middle linebacker Fred Warner by running the zone option with Jalen Hurts who you obviously saw run a touchdown later in the game and it showed you why this Eagles rushing attack is so incredible and it's actually historic because on the Hurts rushing touchdown Hurts scored his 15th rushing touchdown of the season which breaks Cam Newton's record for most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in an NFL season uh, including playoffs obviously and then the Eagles that was their 38th rushing touchdown as a team which is the most by any team including playoffs In the NFL, obviously, they get the 17th game, but they also had the one seed, so they did miss a game. They did have a bye week the first week of the season, so it is incredibly impressive. Um, But with all that, I thought the Niners' defense came to play. They were incredibly impressive. They kept them in this game. Outside of the end of that first half, which was just gross, Philly never put them away. And it felt like Philly should have dominated even more in this game. Um, And Philly, yes, 31-7 to feels like a domination, but this is what you wonder with Philly sometimes, where they haven't really put teams away when they get up big. And so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the Super Bowl. Um, But obviously, then tempers start flaring, and the Niners, after just the defense keeping them in it all game long, and then Brock Purdy comes back. He shows incredible guts, and... It's nice to see that because I wanted to see what Brock Purdy can show in this game. It's a shame we don't have the answer to that. I picked the Eagles in this game because I thought that Brock Purdy wasn't going to be able to handle the road environment and the tough environment. We're not going to get our answer. And I think Brock Purdy will be the starter regardless going into next year. I think that's his job to lose. It has to be. Everything he's shown this year and even what he showed yesterday, his willingness to come back into the game um, and the guts he showed to come back into the game. We don't know the extent of the injury. Um Adam Schefter tweeted this. He wrote, 49ers believe Rock Purdy injured his ulnar collateral ligament during today's NFC Championship game, per sources, and he will undergo an MRI on Monday. The hope is that it's not ruptured and it would require only a six-week recovery. So that's the the minimum, I guess, is a six-week recovery. We'll see what the recovery is. Beyond that, there were weird shots of Jimmy G smiling on the sideline a few times. I don't know what that was all about, but obviously Twitter reacted to it. But look, I liked what he did, I liked Purdy in this game, but we talk about this all the time, we talk about Kyle Shanahan, and his thinking he's better than you, and when does it stop, when does it feel like this team is a great team, this team is a championship caliber team, but at some point, you need the quarterback to take you over the top, and I thought we'd get the answer on if Purdy is that guy or not in this game, and unfortunately, we didn't get the answer, because he couldn't play, and that sucks, that's really a shame, um, I wanted the answer to that question. I wanted to know if Purdy was the guy, and we still won't know. Um, I joked last week about you know Kyle Shanahan coming into the game to play quarterback. We almost got to that point in this game because the two quarterbacks, and they mentioned on the broadcast that Jimmy G might have been healthy enough. There was a thought that he might be healthy enough to play, which is crazy to me, um, but he wasn't dressed for the game. Otherwise, he would have made it in as the third quarterback in this game. Uh, And once Purdy came back, it didn't matter anyway. He was just turning the ball, turning around and handing the ball off. And the 49 or the Eagles, I should say, knew that. Um, And the Eagles, it it was unstoppable. And this is what the Eagles did all year. Their offensive line is incredible, although I do think Lane Johnson false starts on every single play. And Brian Baldinger did a breakdown on Twitter this morning where he shows that he's moving his foot as the ball's being snapped meaning his timing is so precise and so perfect that he false starts just a split second early so it can't be called and because he does it on every single play they're never going to call it but he does false start on every single play in my opinion and I don't think that's an opinion I think that's a fact it was actually funny I was on a group chat today and I texted it all on the group chat and at the exact same time someone else on the group chat and it was totally random we were not talking about Lane Johnson we were not talking about the Eagles game we were not talking about offensive line we were talking about we just literally both at the same time texted the group chat saying. Is it weird that Lane Johnson false starts on every single play? Um, Kind of coincidental, but I guess it's not the only. I'm not the only person who sees it. Um, I guess that's how that works. But either way, the Super Bowl is set, and I do think it's the two best teams in the league. I think Kansas City's pass rush was really good, and they were better than Cincinnati's O line, and Cincinnati's O line problems continue. Um, And if Patrick Mahomes is healthy, then he's the best quarterback in the league, and I think in the NFC all year long, it was Philadelphia. And now we have the Super Bowl. So is Philadelphia going to roll and continue to roll like they've done to every single team throughout this entire season? And it felt like every team they faced there's been an excuse, right? The Giants aren't that good, quote unquote, right? They beat a team in the NFC championship game that's without a quarterback in Brock Purdy hit that had no one. They had both quarterbacks were injured. So that wasn't that great. What have the Eagles done that was so impressive this year? But what was so impressive is how dominant they were no matter who they played. And you can only blame play the people on your schedule. So maybe they get another crack at a quarterback who's not fully healthy. And just another thing that continues to go this way for the Eagles and go their way. And just they dominate and they win the Super Bowl also. Or maybe it finally turns. Maybe it's Patrick Mahomes' turn. But the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and the MVP season he had... With the offensive line and defensive line, how good they are and how good their corners were. I was so impressed by their corners in that game. I know they're going up against a backup third string, fourth string quarterback. But at the same time, they were so impressive in that game. Their corners, their linebackers, their defense is really impressive. And so we'll see. The winner of this game might actually just end up being as we shift now to the Super Bowl Early storylines, because there's a lot of storylines in this game, and the stage is set, you have Philly, you have all the crazy Philly fans, and I love watching the Philly fans celebrate. I'll never get sick of that. I don't hate it. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my god, Philly fans, they're angry, they're mean. No, I love that. I watch, love watching them try and climb up the grease poles. I don't know if you saw the video on social media of them all on top of a bus stop, and the bus stop at the top of it, like the roof of it, crashes in, and all of them go flying down. I love that stuff. I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny that after the Chiefs game was over, The Philly fans were still partying in the city like till 1 o'clock in the morning. That game ended at about 7 p.m. and they were still partying outside in the streets. I think that's super cool. It's going to be a party for two weeks now with the Eagles going to the Super Bowl out in Arizona. And then you have the Chiefs. You have the quarterback who's been the greatest quarterback and he's back in the Super Bowl. Uh, After a one-year hiatus, he's back in the Super Bowl and I'm happy to see him back there. Um, But the storylines, like I said, does the healthier quarterback win this game? We know that... Jalen Hurts had some health issues going into this game, but he looked completely healthy over the last two games. Obviously, he had the injury late in the season. He has another week to recover, the week off. Patrick Mahomes now has the week off. I doubt Mahomes will be 100%, but we saw how incredible he was. He was the number one quarterback in the NFL this year from inside the pocket, throwing the ball from inside the pocket. He led the league in touchdown passes from inside the pocket as well this year. What he can do inside the pocket is still so incredible. And we saw when he needed to make a play most, he made it. And so in the Super Bowl, I don't doubt that he'll be able to think about it. The three touchdowns or the three biggest plays of the day were the touchdown where he's kind of scrambling back and forth to Kelsey and throws it to Kelsey on that scramble play. But he didn't really scramble. I say, quote unquote, scrambled. The touchdown, obviously, the second touchdown where he's able to step up in the pocket and draws the safety in by stepping up, also kind of scrambling and then throwing the touchdown. And then obviously when he ran out of the pocket for the first down uh, to end the game or to set up the game-winning field goal after the penalty. So those three plays, he made the biggest three plays with his legs. I hope after a couple of weeks of recovery, he'll be even more healthy unless he re-aggravated and made the injury worse in this game, but hopefully that's not the case. Obviously, another storyline, Kelsey against Kelsey. You obviously have Travis Kelsey, the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, and you have jason kelsey his brother they host a podcast together too i'm sure they'll do an episode at some point this week which will be fun uh, to listen to i hope they do at least that would be great for them to do a podcast an episode together before they get ready to play against each other in the super bowl obviously the center for the eagles is jason kelsey um you also have andy Reid, who coached obviously for a long time in philadelphia took them to the super bowl andy Reid against philly and i did see a sign uh someone holding a sign at the eagles game at the end of the game with a sign that said we want andy um so i'm sure that's not going to come back to bite them because that didn't hurt the chiefs at all whenever or uh, the Bengals at all whenever a team i feel like says we want fill in the blank it always comes back to bite them it always feels like the other team ends up winning so i'm sure that'll work out well for eagles fans i'm not telling them to pipe down though because i think keep going keep doing your thing you guys are eagle fans you guys are awesome um And right now, the early odds have Philly as favorites. So I did throw a couple of shekels on the Kansas City Chiefs because I did. uh, I am, like I said, I can't root against Patrick Mahomes. I can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. I do have my future for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. I still have my future on that. So I did put a little more. because As long as I could get the Chiefs at plus money, I'm excited. And I put the Chiefs in every single bet that I had. I had them on the money line. I had them parlayed uh, with... The over 40 in the game, minus two and a half, and over 40 in the game. So, that one obviously, I also had the Chiefs to win and Chris Jones to record a sack. So, I got that one. I had Kelsey to score a touchdown and Mahomes to throw two touchdowns and the Chiefs to win. So, all those bets. And I put Chiefs' money line in every one of my bets because I wanted the Chiefs to win. So, I wanted to have a rooting interest and I gave myself a rooting interest by doing that. Um, but right now, Philly, again, is the early favorites, and it makes sense. They look more healthy, and they look like the more dominant team. The Chiefs barely beat Cincinnati, but I think in two weeks, it's the Super Bowl. It's a different ball game, It's a different atmosphere. We'll see what happens, and I can't wait. We'll obviously have plenty of time to talk about it. A couple of other things around the NFL. Number one, Justin Herbert had surgery on his left shoulder. So it's not his throwing shoulder, but it's on his left shoulder. Uh, so he had something to repair there. So obviously, he was playing hurt at the end of the year, maybe it changed the way he played a little bit with running the football and Kellen Moore is out in Dallas, which is just shocking to me because Kellen Moore uh, was one of the bright spots in Dallas. One of the reasons they turned their coaching staff around. One of the reasons they turned uh Dak Prescott around Dak Prescott had one of his best seasons because of Kellen Moore. Um, so it makes no sense that you would fire Kellen Moore in Dallas, unless you're the Dallas Cowboys and you do everything perfectly wrong. That's what they do because they are the Cowboys. Um, so I guess that does make sense. Um, And yeah, so that is the stories from the NFL. Like I said, Super Bowl set, a great weekend of football again, although the first game kind of sucked, Philadelphia and San Francisco, but the second game, I think hopefully it's remembered as a great game. It's not remembered for the refs. It's not remembered for the late hit. It's remembered as a great game between two great quarterbacks, and it's going to just be another one of the games that they have between each other. It should be a long history between the two guys. Um a long time of them going at it for the AFC for the next 10, 15 years. It feels like it's always going to be those two. We've had it now for the second straight year. And could that be the next Brady and Manning in the AFC? And I think it could be. uh, And I think you should just appreciate the greatness of it and appreciate all the good stuff and not focus so much on the negative. uh, Like some people tend to do. That's, that's what I'm here to tell you to do. All right. With that, I'm going to end the episode a little bit shorter today as we move forward. Obviously this week, there's no football to preview. How much more are we going to talk about this game? Obviously, there are going to be stories that come out. There's going to be different things. There's NFL free agency. There's Aaron Rodgers. There's the awards, the NFL awards that we're going to get to a little bit later. All that stuff is going to happen. We're going to have hockey. We're going to have baseball. We're going to have basketball. Actually, interesting. Jeff McNeil signed an extension with the Mets, a four-year, $50 million extension, which was a great sign, great, great signing for the Mets. And what's so interesting to me is Buck Showalter said this a couple days before the contract got done. He said it on the radio in Baltimore. Actually, we had him on the show. And I spoke to him for a minute and he mentioned how baseball is not going to change the way it's played, meaning as far as guys just swinging for the fences and uppercuts and being willing to strike out until we stop paying players for home runs. And a guy like Jeff McNeil, who in a big spot, you want him up in that big spot because he puts the bat on ball, because he's so good at being clutch. That's the guy you want up in those situations. That guy got paid only $50 million over four years because he's not a home run hitter. He doesn't hit a lot of home runs. And so maybe... Buck Showalter was kind of foreshadowing, and he already knew that contract was coming. Um, But really interesting that Buck Showalter would say that. And I always talk about how you should figure out a way to devalue strikeouts. And maybe the way you do it is in the contracts and not in the rules of the game itself. It's a different thing that I hadn't thought of. Um, So that's an interesting piece in baseball, uh, just a nugget that I thought of about Major League Baseball. It's really interesting um, if you ask me if the teams themselves can devalue the strikeouts by putting incentives to not strike out in your contract, not make it part of the game, but put incentives money-wise. That speaks more than outs and strikes and different things in the game. I always thought in the terms of, oh, well, maybe you start your next at-bat with an 0-1 count or something like that. No, you should do it in the contract, just like home runs are valued in the contract. Home runs, you pay for home runs, and Jeff McNeil got a lesser contract because he doesn't hit a lot of home runs, even though he's an incredibly valuable, extremely important player to the Mets. And good job by the Mets, and good job. Congrats to Jeff McNeil. I'm not, you know, shaming anyone. It's $50 billion is a lot of money. Um but maybe you could do the same thing in the contract where if you don't strike out a lot, you get a bonus, or if you do strike out too much, you get a deduction, something like that. That maybe that's an interesting thing Uh, for baseball. Obviously we'll talk hockey. We'll talk Knicks basketball and basketball in general, because there's a lot to talk about there. The Knicks had a great win. The last time I spoke to you was before the Knicks game against uh, Boston, the best win of the season for the Knicks by far. And then they lose one of the worst losses of the season as Kyrie Irving just goes off against them in the fourth quarter uh, in Brooklyn. So not great, but We'll talk Knicks. We'll talk basketball. We'll talk a lot more. There'll be football topics, I'm sure, and everything else. We'll talk about life. We'll talk about everything you want to talk about. Obviously, there's a voicemail. That's still in, The link is still in the description of every episode. There's a voicemail link, a link to leave me a voicemail, and then we can talk about whatever. If you bring up a topic, I'll talk about it and everything else. All that and a whole lot more later this week. Until then, thank you all for listening. Thank you to the great sponsors. Go support them. Support me. Please share this podcast if you like it. I appreciate that as always, and until next time, see ya. You
1: were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway causing your own graffiti. I breathe your air when I land in another city. I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. Yeah, you're all I know. Everywhere. Drop down Riverside, see the birds flying on the highlands. With sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July. I, want the Yankees 99 yeah, and the Knicks on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive, hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me? And I breathe your air when I land in another city. Max. One that's got you printed on my bones. Yeah, you're all I. I was God sent. I used to hit them courts you in Prospect. Take them long walks on my time spent. Just a kid with that Empire State of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do though, I can never hide it. Type down on the West Side when I'm driving, East Side be the only side that I'm riding.